0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hi everyone, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Mariana Sotomayor, and I'm a congressional reporter at the Washington Post. Joining me today is Congressman Michael Turner. He is a Republican from Ohio and is actually the top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee, which is pretty important simply because for those who don't know, he is one of eight members of Congress, both in the House and the Senate, who received the highest classification of intelligence and briefings in that post. So, Congressman, thank you so much for joining us right now.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's great that you guys have expanded into these formats to give people a a greater ability to have a, a longer conversation. So I look forward to talking to you today.
0: Yes, you know, you're a very pertinent guest right now, given everything that's happening. So really appreciate you coming on to, to talk at length of, of and inform our viewers of many different subjects. But I really do want to start um, over something that happened this weekend. We heard President Biden in a speech in Poland actually say that Russian President Vladimir Putin Quote, Cannot remain in power. Um, it has, uh, you know, kind of started a lot of conversations internationally. I wanted to get your reaction to that and any potential consequences you think those words can have in in the Russian and Ukrainian war that's happening right now.
1: Right, right. Well, I think it's very damaging. And and you know, we saw from this trip that was supposed to be, you know, the president's you know foreign policy uh, foundational statements about the war in Ukraine and the U.S commitment, both to NATO and to allies, and to, to deter, you know, Russian aggression. And, and you saw these number of missteps where the administration uh, constantly had to come out and say, well, he didn't really mean that, regardless of, like, those were the words he was using when he was talking to, for example, soldiers, um, you know, in, in language that appeared to say that, that they were headed to Ukraine. He goes, you know, what you'll see there, and, of course, then, of course, they're, they're not going to Ukraine. Um, and, you know, he did a couple of analogies that were misplaced when the Ukrainians at perilous you know, risk of their life came to meet with him in Poland. He compared their commute to his trip home from the Senate to, to Delaware because he was on the train. You know, these are these types of analogies are, 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 you know, don't show empathy. Uh, they actually show a lack of recognition of the, of the seriousness of what's going on. But I think what, what we may have seen there was a brief glimpse uh, from the president, as he's standing there giving this, it's supposed to be this, you know, very foundational speech, um, being you know sort of carried away by the overwhelming evidence and views that he has seen of the consequences of what Vladimir Putin is doing in Poland. He's, you know, he saw the effects of the refugees. He spoke personally with the Ukrainians and had them, uh, you know, relate to him the extent of the destruction and, and the despair that's there. So. You know, this uh, This spontaneous statement apparently was not written in his speech itself is damaging in that, you know, how does he in the future... Uh, sit with Vladimir Putin, uh, where he's called for him to be removed. And it certainly it makes it more complex to try to end the conflict in Ukraine. Our goal is to get Russia out of Ukraine and to end that conflict. It's not regime change. It is, is not a position against Russia. In fact, we've been very clear as the United States to try to say this is not a U.S.-Russia um, <clears throat> conflict. But nonetheless, the conflict needs to end, and we will support Ukraine in, in trying to bring an end to it. So I it, it's, it's certainly troubling, and I, I think it's been very difficult for the administration to try to walk back, but it does have impacts that are not positive.
0: So, you know, that ad lib aside, a lot of people say, well, should someone who has conducted him- themselves like like Putin has, should they okay. remain in power, you know, going into a, a sovereign country, doing a lot of what the humanitarian disasters we've seen come out of there, not to mention the war itself? What do you think? Think about that—that that point of view. That maybe someone like him, as Biden has expressed, should not remain in power. That the world shouldn't tolerate uh, dictators like this.
1: You know, that's not President Biden's decision, and it's not ours either. I mean, this is—you know—he is the leader of the Russian people, currently chosen by them, and uh, you know we are dealing with trying to counter uh, the consequences of the decisions that he's making. Uh, I don't think you can persuade someone to make a different decision when your your argument to them is you you should not be in power. Uh, it certainly um, escalates, as almost all the headlines around the world uh, t- t- typified it. Um, the, um, the the whole conversation, and I think it's it's certainly um, not um, not helpful uh, to our attempts to try to resolve this conflict in Ukraine.
0: So I actually want to ask you about some breaking news today. The Wall Street Journal is actually reporting. I'm going to look down to my notes because I want to make sure I read this quote correctly. They're reporting that a Russian oligarch and a Ukrainian uh, peace negotiators, um, quote, are suffering from symptoms of suspected poisoning after meeting in Kiev earlier this month. We at The Washington Post have not independ- independently verified this. But I wanted to get your reaction to that and you know what you think this could potentially lead to. How should we be preparing us Americans, um, given the fact that we have diplomats overseas? How should we prepare them, protect them from any potential uh, suspected poisonings like this?
1: Right. Well, I have no independent information about the news report either, um, and certainly have, have not been briefed. But I think, you know, we, we can, between the two of us, certainly acknowledge that uh, this is consistent with allegations that have been made to, by Russia, uh, to, against Russia uh, previously, uh, both in uh, Ukraine itself, in London. Um, the, um, uh, th- these, <clears throat> um, these types of actions, the, the, the murderous attempts, murdering civilians, uh, poisoning individuals. Um, uh, attempting to poison individuals, those are very consistent with what Vladimir Putin has been you know, alleged to have done in the past. And, and I think those are the types of things that, that we would expect to see from him. What it basically says is that Russia is led by a country, uh, by a, a gentleman who um, who does not share our values. He doesn't share the values of the West. He clearly is undertaking uh, what many are, are saying will constitute war crimes. And, and that, I think, it should... Um, should give us the ability to say, what do we need to do in investing both in diplomatic relations and in military capabilities to ensure that, that we deter uh, Russia in the future? What we've seen from Russia in the past you know, five to 10 years is an unbelievable uh, investment in advanced weaponry systems, in modernizing their nuclear weapons uh, systems, and in seeking gr- uh, great new weapons capabilities in the nuclear uh, capacity that, that the world has never seen before. Uh, they have uh, become more aggressive in space, more aggressive with their neighbors, and then ultimately, on the heels of uh, invading and annexing Crimea, on the heels of having invaded Georgia, now in a full-scale war with uh, with Ukraine. So clearly, it shows uh, that this is um, uh, this is a country that is led by a man uh, that Vladimir Putin uh, is to be. Uh, you know a, a gentleman that that to to recognize he does not have our values and that we need to be very, very concerned um, about what he may do in the future.
0: And how should we be protecting our own American diplomats, those overseas that could potentially be exposed to this other kind of of I, I guess you could describe it, warfare, um you know, technology, that other, Foreign adversaries may be using to harm us that is physical, but in a different way that we're used to seeing.
1: Sure. Well, as I was saying, they, they don't represent our values. So we're, we're shocked when they occur. I can tell you that both the State Department and the Department of Defense have protocols uh, in place, uh, both in notifying, warning uh, our staff and in attempting to protect our staff. Uh, what we need to do, though, is a whole scale understanding that uh, this is not just isolated behavior. This is not something that we have to just temporarily be concerned with. Uh, this is actually you know, who Vladimir Putin is. Uh, and with that, we have to be very concerned when a man like that uh, makes threats to the whole world um, that uh, you know his actions could result in nuclear war.
0: So I wanted to ask you, the Ukrainians have been claiming that they've killed seven Russian generals. It's something that we at The Post have also reported, and that brings their total to 15 senior Russian military officials that they've actually killed. Um, is that actually something that that you also have heard? And what is the military significance of this if it is true?
1: Yeah, well, I, I cannot independently verify that, but I, I certainly, as you have seen the reports, and and what we we're seeing here is Ukrainians being an incredibly effective um, military force, not only in their attempts to you know attack the invading troops and forces, you know, take out some of the military equipment that has entered into Ukraine, but also to go to the chain of command and the ability of um, of Russia to operate in the space. We saw it also with the attack on the the Russian ship, uh, where it was, you know, delivering additional supplies, understanding that, that those types of bringing in new equipment and supplies are things that you would want to naturally uh, attack in um when you're being subject to a, to a military invasion. So they're being incredibly effective. Um, I think um, you know it's, uh, uh, it is it is why um, we should certainly be 100% behind them and providing them all military assistance and weapons that they could use. It's unfortunate that we were not uh, providing that, those weapons earlier. I mean, last year, myself and many in Congress were calling for weapons to be provided to them that would have made a big difference early on in the conflict. Um, But uh, now we're in a situation where we're seeing that Ukraine is an effective fighting force, uh, completely underestimated uh, by this administration, and we need to be behind them so that they can help uh, repel uh, this invasion uh, by an authoritarian regime on a validly elected democratic uh, country uh, unprovoked.
0: You mentioned how Ukraine has very much surprised many in their strength to be able to hold and defend their country. Curious about what's happening inside of Russia. Have you seen anything about the political fallout there that could be facing Putin and in, 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 in any way, whether it's politics or, you know, his own people potentially protesting to help pave away potentially to to either a ceasefire or make sure that Putin can come to the table and, and negotiate an end to this?
1: Right. Well, you know, I've seen the same reports that you have of the um, uh, of the attempts by Putin uh, to limit the information his populace is receiving uh, to um, you know, arrest those who were protesting and prevent protests. Uh, but one thing that we've known over the last several years is that, that Putin, in his uh, efforts to get a firm grasp on his government, has made it very difficult uh, for any type of uh, dissent. Uh, including any organization or ability of anyone to be organized in a way uh, that that might be a threat to him. Um, so he's sitting uh, you know very isolated and in a in a manner isolated even from um, you know criticism from his own government. and I think that sort of course makes it both dangerous for the world uh, because you have a, a man who appears to be accountable to none, but at the same time dangerous for him because as uh, the information, uh, concerning what's happening in Ukraine uh, does come to his populace and does come to those in decision making in their, his government they're going to realize um, that they're not receiving truthful information uh, that it's being suppressed and really the horrors of uh, the military actions that are being taken in, in Ukraine and uh, you know that should hopefully have an impact on the Russian population and certainly others in the, uh, in the Moscow government
0: And you've warned repeatedly that just the Russian invasion in Ukraine means that Putin may not just stop there. He could go into the Baltic nations. I'm curious, given the fact that this has been a tougher fight for Putin to even be able to claim Ukraine, do you think that it's still part of his calculus, part of his thinking to try and invade other countries?
1: Well, you know, adversaries self-select, and I believe that we should take them at their word. And in this instance, you know, Vladimir Putin has made it clear that his intention was to reconstitute the uh, geographical territory of the Soviet Union. Um, He's he's asked us to make it easier for him by you know um, retracting NATO to pre nineteen ninety seven boundaries um and and you know his his statements to both finland and sweden which are not in nato that you know if they considered joining nato that, that that they could be subject to invasion and attack um are, are, it really shows uh, not just an, an aggressiveness and a bullying on his part because you know the, we're, we're seeing actual military action, actual killing and, and murdering of civilians in, in Ukraine, that, that he has become, his regime has become one, uh, that that is of great threat to its neighbors, um, certainly as you indicated, the Baltics, um, certainly Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, all of those, Moldova was identified in uh, a Belarus presentation as being at risk. All of those are are, are areas where we have to be very concerned as to how do we support democracy, support NATO, and at the same time deter Russia so that we don't have um, an incursion into a NATO country that results in in a direct conflict with both NATO, the United States, um, and our Eastern European allies.
0: So last week, I actually caught you at the House Republican retreat um, while, while the Congress was in recess, so outside of Washington, D.C., and it was shortly after Biden's press conference where he talked about chemical warfare. I believe you said that you thought he waffled a little bit on that answer, that he should be clearer and more specific about what a red line should be if Putin engages in chemical warfare or even nuclear warfare. Um, any update on that front? I know you had mentioned that you are talking to the administration about what those red lines should be. Easy right. question. What should those red lines be?
1: Right, right. Well, first off, there has to be clarity as to what those red lines are. I mean, what the president said was, well, it depends on the use of those. Well, if they if they use them, they've used them. I mean, that it's either a red line or it's not. You don't say, oh, they only killed ten people or they only killed a hundred. I mean, what? How do you how do you make a red line of the use of chemical weapons depending upon the extent of their their use and then the president went on and said the the odd comment of you know well, we'll respond in kind and then the white house had to backtrack and say well we don't mean we'll use new, we'll use chemical weapons um, the um, but but in these i mean you have his troops showing up with the type of gear and equipment that would indicate um that perhaps a chemical weapons attack would be used there have been allegations that russia has used chemical weapons uh, in, in Syria and you know, perhaps in conjunction with the Syrian regime, um, you know, consented to their to use or participated. So, so you have this, this, um, this concern, again, of values, of what we might expect that, and of what international law uh, norms are, and that uh, you know, clearly, as people are, are alleging, that uh, you have war crimes allegations that are, that are being made, that, that this is a regime that is capable of anything. And if that, um, you can't merely always be in a response mode. You, you have to be able to have some things that you say um, that will not be tolerated. Um, and certainly chemical weapons would be one. Obviously, nuclear weapons. Another. Uh, the administration has continued to say what it won't do uh, and continued to save its concern of what uh, you know Putin might do or his administration might do. But that, um, you know. That doesn't help in trying to deter and in uh, giving Russia an understanding that there'll be real consequences if either chemical weapons or even uh, nuclear weapons were used.
0: So we actually have a question from one of our viewers. Um, Joe, Ellen Welsh from Virginia asks, what is being done to combat disinformation coming out of Russia? What are we doing on that front?
1: Well, I think this is one of the things that that I think is is effective that we are doing, and I greatly appreciate that you're focusing on this um, in in this interview. I mean, this is obviously a depressing um, you know topic in that you know war is occurring, people are dying, that there, there are residential areas that are being bombed. These are not military targets. Millions of people are being displaced and are becoming refugees. Uh, pe- people are 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 you know losing access to both their loved ones and food and water, the basic necessities. Um, but um, you know, I. The, um, the world press is doing an excellent job of making certain that the story is being told of what's occurring in Ukraine. Uh, and that's important because uh, we're not just getting aggregate daily briefings of what's occurring. We're getting the human story of how this is affecting individuals and the human story of the decisions that are being made by the Russian military. And, and I think that's incredibly powerful.
0: You mentioned the role of the press. Um, you know, a lot of reporters abroad, but we've seen how, as as Russia has gone into a number of Ukrainian cities, a lot of reporters have had to step away for their own safety. We saw that in uh, Maripol last week where uh, some Associated Press reporters were the last ones standing, but had to evacuate. What do you do in that circumstance when you no longer have people who are able to take pictures, send videos, send reports? Are you in fact relying on on some of the Ukrainians who are still there and posting on social media to try and inform the world of what is happening at a specific moment?
1: Well, I think this is our first social media documented war, um, and President Zelensky has just been a, a master at, at making certain he gets his, his message out. In history, there's never been an individual who has addressed the, you know, the Italian parliament, the Canadian parliament, the United States Congress. Uh, NATO itself, the UK House of Commons. I mean, this the the message that uh, President Zelensky has been able to get out of both challenging the West and informing the West as to what's happening and going right to these legislative bodies has also made an impact on the leaders of those countries. I think President Biden and the White House have been pushed um, as, um, as Congress has leaned in. You know, one of those issues, obviously, that was evident in the immediate let move on legislation to ban Russian oil in the United States. Um, speaking to those legislatures, uh, I think does have a huge impact on formulating uh, world leaders' policies. And, and uh, you know, he certainly has been a master at making certain that the information is in the hands of those who can debate the issue and determine policy.
0: I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the role of Congress here and the fact that you all have been pretty On top of what the response should be at times, pushing the White House to, as you mentioned, you know, finally go there on banning Russian oil. I believe there are still negotiations ongoing on limiting trade with Russia and Belarus. Can you give us an update on that? And what more can you all do? I know the House will be in Washington this week and the following week. Um, What are you all discussing about the next potential steps that the U.S. should be doing to protect Ukrainians and try and push aside Russia?
1: Well, you know, Congress has a very long history on, on this. As you recall, as uh, you know, Russia invaded Crimea, um, <clears throat> then you know, President Poroshenko of Ukraine came uh, to a joint session and inv- was invited to a joint session of Congress uh, where he said, you know, I can't win a war with blankets. Please you know, in- have your government give me lethal weapons so that I can defend my country. And as you know, Congress then took steps to authorize and push forward, push it then, the Obama Biden administration to provide these weapons. It took then, when the Trump administration came in, the javelins were, were delivered and lethal aid began, but still not in the level that is, was obviously needed for the level of war that we're, we're seeing now. Um, the, uh, the Biden administration continued. Uh, providing uh, lethal aid, but, but not at the level that the intelligence showed that w- would be necessary uh, for the types of forces uh, that were entering Russia. Now, there is a number of debates in Congress as to what to do in both in the issues of uh, ex- expanding sanctions in um, you know, prohibiting additional trade, a number of, you know, broad, um Uh, materials that are are of concern that we're somewhat dependent upon uh, with Russia, all of those are part of the debate. I think you're going to continue to see uh, Congress lead on on this. Um, The administration, I think, um, has had to be pushed, um, but they certainly have had confidence that they had political cover as Congress has pushed uh, to try to sever ties with Russia and provide additional aid to Ukraine.
0: Uh, Congressman. Before I move on to some questions on the Intel Committee, which, of course, you are the ranking member of, I did want to circle back on the disinformation happening in Russia a little bit differently. But we have seen a small number of Republicans with that you know have very loud voices, Tucker Carlson, Congressman uh, Michael, or excuse me, Madison Cawthorn. Um, they have been pretty lenient on Russia being. Speaking out against Ukraine, um, what do you make of that? And, and do you think that that kind of rhetoric is dangerous at a time like this?
1: Well, you remember an AOC and Bernie Sanders immediately upon the invasion called for the disbanding of NATO. Um, so it's been both on the left and, and on the right, where there have been individuals who have not seen this as the conflict that it is an authoritarian regime that is attacking a democratically elected country, unprovoked. I mean, the the unbelievable uh, calls by AOC and Bernie Sanders to, to disband NATO, which has provided peace and has been uh, the most unbelievable uh, force of stability, uh, really post-World War II, uh, is just completely irresponsible. Um, and then couple that with those who... Um, who don't see um, the evil that the um, that uh, the leadership of Vladimir Putin uh, represents, even with the images that are are running across your televisions of uh, the individuals who are being senselessly murdered um, for um, you know just the um, uh, the broader umbrella of the um, uh, Vladimir Putin vision of what a greater Russia should be. Um, those those should, should cause both sides um, to pause and say, um, you know, NATO is a defensive force. Uh, this is an aggressive action by an authoritarian regime. Um, we support democracies. We support democracies around the world. They are allies. Um, and we know that uh, when we allow authoritarian regimes uh, to begin to gobble up Uh, democracies, all democracies are at risk. President Zelensky himself called on President Biden to lead the world as a leader of democracies uh, to, uh, you know, to couch this as a fight for freedom. And it truly is a fight for freedom.
0: Congressman, I wanted to ask you um, a bit of breaking news. So I understand if you may not have seen this, but the Post is now reporting that a U.S. District Court judge actually believes, quote, and I'm looking down on my phone to make sure I'm reading this correctly, quote, more likely than not that Trump has committed a crime following the 2020 election and how he has intervened on that front. And it comes from a a ruling from, you know, scores of sensitive emails that Trump allies and conservative lawyer John Eastman actually turned over to the January 6th committee. I know there's a lot there, but wanted to get your reaction on what that can mean.
1: Yeah, well, I've not seen the decision. I look forward to reading it. Um, I can tell you this: I'm, I am a lawyer, and one of the things that you know we can all opine, but the reality is, is that that issue was not before that court. Uh, the court has not seen the evidence. There, there certainly it was not in their jurisdiction, nor a question before the court for the court to opine on. So, um, you know, I I look forward to reading the decision that the court uh, released. Um, But at the same time, as you're well aware in reporting this, um, you you should make it clear that this was not an issue before this court, nor did the court have the evidence in front of it, other than the question uh, of whether or not uh, the emails uh, that were the subject matter of the case should be released to the January 6th committee.
0: I wanted to ask you about the committee you serve on. Of course, if Republicans take over the majority next year, you would be the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. And one of the yeah. things that you've said and one of the things that leader um, Kevin McCarthy has said is that they don't want this committee to be politicized any further. We saw that happen um, back when you all were investigating uh, you know, Russia un- under the Trump administration. Can you give us a look at not just how you're going to restore those relationships that were once very strongly bipartisan, um, but also potential legislation, things that you're going to be investigating? What are you prioritizing as you kind of look ahead to the next several months?
1: Well, Mariana, you are absolutely correct. I, I think everyone knows that this is a committee that at its heart is supposed to be focused on national security. And um, you know, my background in Congress and service, both on the Intelligence Committee as senior member of the Armed Services Committee, um, is on the issue of national security. How do we make America more safe? And we can't do that by partisan squabbles and fights. Um, this is a committee that needs to be looking at our adversaries, what are adversaries doing? Uh, what do we need to be doing in response? Uh, how can we support uh, the intelligence community in making certain that it does the assessments, The the gathering of intelligence uh, sufficiently so we get a real good picture and understanding of what those adversaries are doing and what risks are associated with them, and then making certain that we take action. Uh, I mean, it does no good for information to be given us in the intelligence committee as to what an adversary is doing unless uh, actual action or change in policy occurs. So we're looking at you know a, a motto of making certain that we you know uh, we marry uh, intelligence. To decision and policymakers, uh, will be one of the focuses of our committee of not just being the notification, um, you know, door for the intelligence community to congress but how do we act as a conduit make sure that that information gets in the hands of those who can can make important decisions um i know from my experience in the armed services committee so many times uh there's intelligence that is you know stovepiped, uh not in a place where it needs to be uh, for decision makers to be able to move forward uh with policies that can make our country safe um i, I look I, I appreciate kevin mccarthy having given me in, in me the confidence uh, that I can make that transition, but I believe I can, both in working you know, in a bipartisan basis. I have a very strong record in working on a bipartisan basis on our services committee, on the House floor. Certainly, I think we have an ability to do that when we rally around those things that can make our country safe.
0: And have you noticed those relationships becoming stronger? Is there already a bit more of a bipartisan um, reaching across the aisle relationship that is, is starting to flourish now that you, you obviously are dealing with heated and very important issues in that committee, but maybe not as political as they once used to be?
1: Well, you know, Ukraine should not be political. Um, and um, you know, R- Russia as an authoritarian regime attacking a, a democracy should not be political. Um, and, and I think, you know, Mariana, you, in your background, you, you must know that whenever you bring up those issues that go to the you know very heart of how do we keep America strong? How do we protect America? Uh, that you do get a bipartisan group that rallies around. And I think so by, by changing that focus from, you know, partisan issues and politics, which is, you know, we were co-opted. I mean, <laughs> Chairman Schiff asked for this to be the impeachment committee and, and impeachment, as you know, uh, usually would be, have been run through the Judiciary Committee. Speaker Pelosi made the decision to politicize this committee and take it from the Judiciary Committee and really bastardize the uh, the Intelligence Committee, which derailed a number of important work uh, that was ongoing um, that uh, that goes to this issue of, uh, of security. So there's been this gap of really the work that the Intelligence Committee could have been doing uh, that I think everybody will find very refreshing when we get back to it.
0: Well, I'm sure I will be looking for all of that on, when I'm over there on Capitol Hill in the next couple of hours. Um, but Congressman, that is where I have to leave it. And I again, thank you so much for giving us your point of view of what's happening around the world. I'm sure we'll come back to you soon at some point for an update. Thanks again.
1: Appreciate you doing this. Great. Thank you so much. Take care.